0: Now, if there is anything the the year 2020 has taught me, it's this. I don't think I'm ever going to take the church community for granted again. Amen? I don't think I'll ever take this place for granted again. And, and, you know, I think that's something we all do, isn't it? I think think when you get in the mechanicalism, kind of the the pattern of life, you kind of get busy with life, it happens. I think you have a tendency of taking for granted this. And you know, many of our folks aren't even able to be with us right now online because the technical difficulties we're having this morning, how, in, how important is that for this particular point? I don't think we'll ever take for granted the fact that God's people get to gather together every week. You know what the vision of the church is, by the way? You know, you know when we come together on Sunday morning, you know what the idea behind this is? The idea is this. All week long, you as a Christian have been living out this missional life. You've been on fire for the gospel. You've been reaching your neighbors. You've been experiencing persecution, and it's been hard, and it's been difficult, and you've been out there, and you've been doing your thing. You've been a light in your workplace. You've been a light to your family. You've been been doing all the things Jesus is calling you to, and then once a week, we come together and we celebrate. Once a week, all God's missionaries come together, and we tell stories We say, what's God been doing in your life? What's God been doing in your life? And we come together and we have testimonies. We hear from the word of God. We remember, wait a second, I'm not the only one. I got a whole church family who's doing this thing with me. See, that's what the church is. That's what Sunday morning is. It's a celebration. We take the Lord's Supper together. And I, I for one, will never take it for granted again. Will you? You know, what's 2020 done for your faith? I think the reality is, is... My guess is in some ways it's been strengthened, and in other ways it's been weakened. I I hope for a lot of you, coming through 2020 and coming through being quarantined and all this stuff, and we're a church that's been meeting together, by the way, one of the very few in the city that has been meeting together weekly, for as many as are able to join with us. But even with us still not being able to have everyone in the room, I think maybe many have experienced a strengthening in their faith. Maybe you've had convictions, you've had more time alone. I've heard that from some folks. More time to actually open your Bible. But I also know that our Christian community has been weakened. In some ways, maybe it's been strengthened in little pockets here and there, but in some ways, without this fabric of meals together and and enjoying one another and leaning in and hearing from each other across a dinner table, not over a screen, I think that we've lost something. And there's wounds that are going to take real time to heal. Can I just say that? You know, whenever the doors get open fully, and what I mean by that, obviously we're in person right now, but whenever, like, everyone's here, and all these seats and many more, we would need to double the seats that are out here right now to have everybody in the room again, right? I put out 150 seats on a Sunday mornings right now. We, we have upwards, of, we have close to 300 on a big Sunday, adults that will come into our, our room. So we need to double the seats. So look around, and you know who's not here right now. I think that there are significant wounds that are going to take some long time to heal, coming out of 2020 and whenever 2021 gets into some sense of we can do fully church again in terms of coming together but what is that healing going to look like and how do we know we're getting after it how do we avoid the trap of opening the doors trickling back in and just assuming well church is open again so we're back on I mean, what what foolishness would that be to just think that as long as the doors are open, we're a church family? And, you know, church family is something we talk about all the time. It's a word that we've used regularly to talk about what we want to be. We want to be a family. We want to be a diverse family, and we are a diverse family. It's amazing. Diverse of age range, diverse socioeconomic status, diverse on race, diverse on nations. I mean, we're really this amazing community, but what does it mean to be healthy? What does it mean to strive after the gospel Together. There's the key word for today. Together. 2021 tore us apart. 20, or 2020 tore us apart. 2021 has to bring us together. Stronger than we were in 2019. Today, at the start of this new year, we're actually wrapping up our study in the book of Romans. We've got four weeks left in this book of Romans. And I'll be taking a one-week break Uh, over Pro-Life Sunday to focus on abortion and adoption in a few weeks. But we have three sermons left in the book of Romans before we jump into our new series in the book of Acts, which will take us mostly through the year 2021. We'll be studying the book of Acts together. Now, we've studied the book of Romans. Why do we study books verse by verse in the Bible? This is a good reminder for you of what we do. We go verse by verse because when you go verse by verse, you can't skip any of the difficult stuff you got to get through all of God's word, right? And so if I was a pastor just picking what topics we would teach on, I might not choose some of the really tough ones that are going to really take it out of me and really cause some division in the church to preach on, things that the Bible speaks on. The book of Romans, we've covered a number of those. And so by preaching verse by verse and spending a whole year in the book of Romans, I hope you've, you've covered some important doctrinal ground and you've taken something away. I hope we've grown something in you. We want to be a Bible people. You know, our elders and our staff team got together over the summer, and we talked about what are the qualities we want to be true of this church, Park South Loop. One of them was the the, the term Bible saturation. I love that phrase. We want to be a Bible-saturated people. Are you a Bible-saturated person? Here's how we describe that. We know and love God's precious word. The Bible provides the ultimate standard whereby we interpret our experience and know reality. We study it. We discuss it, we meditate on it, and we allow it to shape all we do with the greater aim of forming our worship of God. That's who we are. And so we study the book of Romans verse by verse. Now, we're in the wrap-up sections. If you remember Romans, the first half, what was it? It was all doctrine. Who is God? Who are we? How do we get made right with God? The second half, as is true of most of Paul's letters in the New Testament, the second half is working that out in real life. All right, so the doctrine's true. How does this practically play out? We're getting right towards the end here in Romans 15. And and the rest of this section really is is hinging. It's an outflow of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read that verse to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All right. So everything we're going to get into today of living in harmony, of being an authentic biblical community is rooted in Romans 12:1, To present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Now let that, before we even get into the text today, think about this. This church family, how do we know if you are a healthy member? So membership 101, are you ready? How do you know if you're a healthy member of this church family? Is this true of you? Are you presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, to this community. Now, what does that practically look like? Now, that's gonna look different for everybody, but I know this, if it's not costing you something, it ain't a sacrifice. And I'm not talking financially. I mean, if it's not costing your time, if it's not costing your, your blood and your sweat and your tears, it's not a sacrifice. How do we present ourselves to this church family correctly? There's one big idea for today, and it's this. Are you ready? This is the idea of the text. Modern individualistic Christianity is not Christianity. So if you want to take one thing away, if you want to write something in your notes, you want to put it down, this is what today's passage is about. Modern individualistic Christianity is not Christianity. That's the negative way of saying it. The positive way of saying it is this. The Bible calls every Christian to sacrificial, communal life together. That's the positive way of saying it. Let's dig in. This text is broken. Romans 15, 1 to 13 is broken into two chunks that kind of repeat each other in different ways. Romans 15, 1 to 7. Let's jump in there first. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor. For his good, to build him up. Look at that language to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause right there, Romans 15, 1 to 6. Now, if you see the structure of that, that structure is going to be repeated. Basically, there's three parts that I just read. Verses 1 and 2 are a command. Verses 3 and 4 show you how Christ lived out that command. And then verses 5 and 6 are an exhortation. So I hope this is true of you as a result of what you just heard. Now that exact same flow is going to happen with the rest of the verses 7 through 13 again. There's going to be another command, show you how Christ lived out that command, and an exhortation. What's the command? We who are strong... Have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, if you can remember, we've been in this language of strong and weak before Advent started. We, we encountered this language and we hit it on a repeat a number of times, and Paul's not done with it yet. Now, to make it really simple without digging into some old sermons fully, which you can do on your own time. Strong and weak. In this room are people that are in all different places in their faith. Some of you are getting nominated to be deacons today. It's an official office in the church and there's qualifications for that that we vet for very, very strictly to become a deacon. Some of you are deacons right now in this room. And there's a certain life quality about you and the the exhibit of the gospel in your life that your church has looked in on you and said, we see this, you've been walking in your faith for a while, and we set you in this place to be a servant in the church. And some of you are brand new in your faith. It's not that you don't have the same power and strength of spirit in you. you, it's just that you're new, you're learning this thing. And here's what the church is. The church is this family of God of people in all these different places in their faith. And the command here is that those who have been walking in their faith for a long time and have a good founding on this are never to look down their nose at the failings of the weaker brothers in Christ. Because remember, once upon a time, you were brand new in your faith too. I'll never forget when I was brand new in my faith. I, was, I became a Christian in my senior year in high school. And, all th- and my first three years in college, I was a mess. Let me put it that way. I was a mess. I was a work in progress. As every one of us are at some point in our journey of faith, and as I still am right now, by the way, I'm a work in progress, but I was a real heavy work in progress freshman through junior year of college. My freshman year, a number of guys from Campus Crusade invited me to Christmas conference in Indy. Who knows about that? Who's been there? Yeah, we got one, we got two. I see Allie Katrubis over there, straight hand. Indy CC, right? Christmas conference. Now, I was a brand new Christian, and there are six, seven hundred, I don't know how many... Christians from around the Midwest, college students who are there for this thing. Brand new. I don't know anything. I, I really have never read this Bible in my life at this point. I'm 18 years old. And I go there, and I got placed in this group of 10 people, and they start talking. And it very quickly is apparent to me that I do not belong in this circle. I mean, the way, I don't even know what they're talking about. They're using all this Christian-y language that I have not been a part of the Christian culture. I'm in a fraternity at this point in my life. I don't, I don't know anything. And, and, and you know what they did? It got to me, to my point, to share. And I just was embarrassed. I had a red face, and I said, guys, I'm so new to this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, and I just kind of put my head down. And you know what they did? They immediately recognized the situation, these 10 folks, college students. And they became such strong friends. They, 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 they toned it down. They realized what they were doing. They realized that, the whole world they were living in was inaccessible to me as a new Christian. And, and they, they got me in. And they put their arm around me. And, and they, they talked life. And they, they, talked, they talked what was encouraging. And, they, and we opened scripture together. That day, we did something I'd never done before. They took me out evangelizing. Now, I want to tell you a true story. I got lockjaw. I was so nervous. I, I want you to hear this. I had never been out evangelizing so much. I was so nervous to talk about Jesus with people that literally I couldn't open my, my mouth. It was stuck. So if ever you were nervous, I want you to know, I I was nervous too. (laughs) It's really hard. But you know what they did? They went out with me and they just said, you just watch. Oh, it was amazing. That was a transformative two, three days for me. But what were they doing? The stronger brothers and sisters in Christ were, 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 were helping me as a younger Christian. You see how the church works? What if they had done this? What if they had heard me put my head down? and say, man, I'm new to this thing. And what if they had heard me do that, and they had gone, man. or, or I saw them kind of make a, a side remark. I wonder what sin is in his life, you know? I, want, I, wonder, I wonder what he still has yet to learn. Look at us over here in our holy huddle. You think, you think I would have had the same journey through college I had if they had done that? I mean, my journey of college was this, like, I mean, I got an education in my undergrad in business. I really got an education in, Christian, in Christianity. I mean, it was just like whoosh, got crushed me. You think if at that pivotal moment they had treated me different, my journey would have been the same? I don't think so. But look, that's the church family. And, and one of the things that happens in the church family is we sit in a room like this and, and, and we're so afraid to allow anyone to really know that none of us are as far along in our journey as faith as we want everyone to think we are. That, that's the reality. If I were to have everyone stand up, who, who and I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if I, stand up if you, were, if, if, you're, if you wish you were further along or if you're yet to really develop some of these disciplines or if me saying getting on a Zoom call seven days a week to pray with your church feels like the most overwhelming thing in the entire world. You know what? Most people would stand up in this room. But we're so afraid to say that. And what we need to form somehow is this authentic Christian community where it's okay to be a weaker brother in faith, and it's great to be a stronger brother in the faith who lays down your guard and makes it approachable for everyone else to come along. Because you know why? Look at what it says. This is exactly what Christ has done for us. He, look, it, the very next verse in Romans 15 is, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to, to build him up for Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Remember the life of Jesus You know who he was always hanging out with? Sinners. He was never in the holy huddle. In fact, he hung out with sinners so much that the religious people accused him of being drunk most of the time. Did you know that? They accused him of being a drunkard. Think about that. Your Savior, your Messiah. When he came, he spent his time with people that everyone else who was in church all the time looked at him and said, What's he doing? is he drunk with those guys? Tax collectors, prostitutes, you know where Jesus always was? He was with them. Amazing. And it seems to me that the people who Jesus was constantly condemning were the Pharisees, the ones who claimed to have their act together. That's the ones who Jesus pointed the finger at. It was was always them saying, why are you looking down your nose at these people? And you know what? Sometimes I think we get in this room and we forget who our Messiah is and was. We forget that he came to seek and save the lost. And we, we suddenly turn church into this individualistic competition to see who's holier than the other person. And we don't do it with words. We, we do it in these such subtle ways. But you know what What happens? It makes people who are trying to figure out if who Jesus is, it makes it so hard for them to enter into the church. And I don't just mean this Sunday room. I I mean the, the church, the family, who you are outside of here. Jesus had this way that sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes were like, tell me more. Is that your life? Genuinely. I mean, people who are far from God, are you like salt to them? Is that your life? Because you're a Christian, you should be. Are, are, are people who are far from God just drawn to you? And are people who are new in their faith, who are figuring this thing out, and they still got a whole lot of their old life in them, are they drawn to you because you're, 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 you're kind of salty, and you're like, man, come on in, let me help you figure this thing out? That's the church. Jesus did that. And we need some of that in this place. And look at the exhortation. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, notice the word, there's no individualism here, that together you may glorify God. See, how did we get so individualistic? There's some church history you got to know. I'm going to take us back in the church history textbooks for a moment, but bear with me, because this will help you understand why we're such an individualistic culture. Well, we're individualistic because we live in an individualistic society, and we drag the garbage of society into the church with us. But there's other stuff going on as well. When the early church was first established, there was this communal living that took place. If you read the book of Acts, which we're going to get into, there was this radical otherworldliness. Now, make sure you understand, it wasn't Marxism, okay? Let me clarify that for you, buzzword for you, ready? Marxism legalizes the distribution of things and forces it on you. It wasn't that. No one was being forced to do anything. In fact, there's checks. The story of Ananias and Sapphira, when they kind of like begrudgingly lied and gave things away... That the Bible condemned them for that. So it wasn't a forced distribution. Rather, it was a voluntary life of living together in such harmony with one another that no one was forcing it, but there was such love that everyone was giving up their stuff and selling it so that everyone would have what they needed. They were in life together day to day. It was totally communal. And it was so crazy. Thousands were being added to their numbers every day, sharing what they had, praying together, living together. It was amazing. No one was going without, says the Bible. Now, can I just pause there for a second? One of the things I love about our church is that truly no one should go without in this church. Since COVID, our Benevolence Fund has cared for more people in this room and online than we ever have before. When you give to this church, it's being spread out. That's amazing. But also... There was this amazing naturalness that was taking place. The benevolence fund at our church is a formal pathway to make sure that takes place. There's also a natural pathway of living in harmony with such another that those who have much are in close proximity to doing life with those who have little and there's a sharing that takes place. Very un-American. And then what happened? In the year, what was the year? Let me get this right. 312 A.D., something tremendous happened in Christian history. You all should know about this. Constantine, Emperor Constantine, had a vision on the Milvian Bridge going into battle. And he had a vision of the cross. At least he says he had a vision of the cross. And and he heard a voice say, in this symbol you will conquer, something like that. And he conquered this battle in the name of Jesus. And after that moment, Christianity became the national religion of the Roman Empire. This is history. And all of a sudden... It was dictated that everybody had to go to church. All right? So we moved from this community that was on fire for the gospel, sharing with one another, living with one another, being persecuted together, dying together, spilling your blood for Jesus together, and honoring the saints and remembering everything they did for Jesus to everybody has to go to church together. Now, question, which one sounds more like us today? (laughs) <laughs> going to church together, right? Okay, that started in 312 AD with Constantine. So now all these people have to come in single files and sit in pews and come to church together. And what they're doing is they're checking the box of individual Christianity. What did the emperor say I had to do? I had to go to church. That's what religion is. I've got to do something. I've got to go to church. So I've got to come do this. Okay, got it. Gone were the days of every day opening the scriptures together, the sharing of the gifts, and now were the days where the pastor had to be the sum total of every spiritual gift that's in the body. He's got to know everything, he's got to do everything, he's got to do it all, and everybody else comes in and just hears and then goes back to their life apart from the community, 312 AD. And what gets robbed? The gifts of the church, right? The gifts of pouring into one another, of dying together, spilling your blood together. See, see, that shift moved from an every member ministry to an individualistic mindset of what the church is supposed to be about. Now, on the one hand, we can look back at Constantine, and God did an amazing thing in the time of Constantine. Christianity, it did. I mean, it spread, right? All of a sudden, half the world was Christian. In some ways, you look at that moment and you say... I mean, God did it. I mean, I mean, the message got out there more than it ever did. you got to kind of celebrate that a little bit. And at the same time, you look at it, you say, yeah, but something also was lost. There's something lost. And our Western church is so Constantinian. And it's very little what the apostles actually had and what Paul was writing to. Because if you read this passage through the lens of the American church, you can justify everything we do. But if you read it through a lens of an honest telling of what the church really looked like, it's very hard to justify how we live our lives. And no one wants to try to do the hard work of of saying, maybe there's some stuff we got to weed out of this place. Christianity became incredibly individualistic. Another quick story for you from back in my college days. When I was in college, I rode. Uh, the, in a bicycle race. I trained to ride in a bicycle race called Little 500. And I was on a team that we had trained every day together riding bicycles. And there was one trip we took together out to San Diego to train with a professional. And there was this one island in San Diego that's famous for cycling, for bike racing. And you go to this island and it's a three, I think it's three, four mile loop around this island. But what happens is on the far side of the island, the wind coming off the Pacific Ocean basically. If you're trying to ride a bike, if you don't know what you're doing, it will knock you over. You, you pedal as hard as you can, and you're barely moving, like a mile an hour. Well, our team, we had eight guys. We broke in a group of four, four and four, and we raced around this island together. My team pulled ahead, but I was the weakest member on my team. I was a freshman. I was trying to figure this thing out. The seniors were way stronger than me. And we take about, I don't know, a hundred-yard lead on the team. We're racing around this island. It's super fun, right? I mean, it's just, you know, doing that kind of stuff together, it, it bonds people, right? We get to the back wall of the island and I'm starting to die now when you ride bikes you ride in a pack you ride about two inches your front tire is two inches off the back tire of the person in front of you why because that means that the person in front takes all the wind on them and the person behind doesn't hit any of the wind and they can save 60 percent of their energy isn't that amazing that's why when you see in the tour de france when they're riding like that the person behind saves 60 percent of their energy and then you rotate and you each take turns taking the wind Well, we hit that back wall, and I just about got blown blown into another stratosphere. My legs gave out, and my team pulled ahead. And I'm watching my team racing ahead, 20 yards ahead of me, and the other team that we were beating gaining on me, 20 yards at a time. And my legs are done. I got nothing left. They're like jelly. And I look up, and one guy in my team, I can hear him yelling, just angry at me, curse words, Rafe! Right? That's one guy in on my team. And I deserved it. I was the weakest link. And then I see another guy, a guy I respected tremendously, peeled off the team, came back to me, and he yelled, Get on my tail! And I said, Okay. And then he looked back at me and he drove. He just created he these big quads. He just drove me through. through. He cut through the wind, and I just was behind him. He's like, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. And we crossed that finish line together, and we beat the other team. Now here's the thing. Look, that's the church. That is the church. When someone is hurting, when someone is weak, when someone's going through something, the church says, get on my tail. It's not individualistic. I'm not out to win with anyone falling behind, It doesn't matter if you win and the rest of the church fell behind. That wasn't it. You missed it. Wrong goal. Wrong goal. If we don't all cross together, then you missed it. Now look, we are hyper-individualistic. And on our best days, we're hyper-clicky. Because we run in this Constantinian model of church... And something's got to give. We got we to do what Jesus did and, like, flip the tables over, right? If, I, honestly, I, I, right now I want to flip this over. I'm not going to. We got to flip it over. It's a, it's a different model. It looks different. It's life together. And there's nothing wrong with a big room. I'm so grateful that there's enough Christians in this church that we need big rooms to do church, to, to come together on Sunday. I just said do church. To come together on Sunday and worship, right? I'm glad for that. I want more people to come in. But it's got to manifest itself in life on life in the grind, strong and weak, just like Jesus did. And if it's not true of you, now is the time to change something about your life. It's now, it's today. It's today. Now, let me get to this next section. I'm going way too long. Romans 15, 7 through 13. He does it again. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's the command. Then he goes to, this is how Jesus did it. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, now he's going to quote the Old Testament four times to show what Jesus did. It was written this. Therefore, I will praise, your name among, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, this one's from Isaiah 11. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And then again from Isaiah 52, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in him. Now, what's the nuance of this? It's welcoming one another. Here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean saying hi to one another on a Sunday morning. What that does mean is washing each other's feet. Which one sounds more like our church? The Constantinian welcome one another on Sunday, right? When I grew up, it was in the Catholic Church. Okay, we went to Catholic Church a couple times a year, and there was a time we called it our meet and greet. But I remember it was very formal in the Catholic Church. You turn and you you turn to someone, you shake their hand, and you say, "Peace be with you," right? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And that was the extent. A fellowship with the brothers. Gone were the days of washing each other's feet and dying with each other. So we dragged the Constantinian model into the church with us. Now what's he getting at here? A lot of Jew-Gentile language. Now we've been in that one all through Romans, the diversity conversation. And I'm going to stick on it a little bit today because I think we've got a lot to learn today. He's going into Jew-Gentile language again. Now remember, these were two, well, many different ethnicities. Jews were one ethnic culture. They had ways of doing things, ways of seeing the world. Gentiles were many different nations, many different cultures, many different races coming into the church together. And now the Jews and all these different ethnos, all these different nations, ethnicities have to come into the church, and what do they have to do with each other? Let's say it ready? Welcome one another. The languages live in harmony with one another and glorify God together. How? By serving each other, dying for each other, loving each other sacrificially. There's a word, an important word. You're getting a lot of like textbooky stuff today, but I think it's important. There's an important word in theology: disenculturization. Disenculturalization. So you take the word culture disenculturalization here's what it means at the heart of the gospel is a set of doctrinal principles who is god he's a trinity father son holy spirit who are we we're humans made in the image of god equal image bearers male and female fallen because of sin what is the gospel and how is a person saved soteriology how is a person saved by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Because his alone is the sacrifice that pays our debt on the cross, right? So no, we're full of sin. We can't stand before a holy God. But if you place your faith in Jesus, his death covers your debt to God. And now you can be welcomed into the family of God. Where are we headed? If you're a Christian, it's heaven. And you have an eternal picture of heaven. And you're living in it now. You're going you're to start heaven in this life. And you're going to finish it in the final heavens. And we wrap around these doctrinal truths. And yet... Christianity is very flexible. It's not like Islam. Islam has a set of doctrinal truths that must be expressed in a very specific cultural way. Christianity is very flexible. There are thousands upon thousands of different cultural contexts where the same doctrinal principles can be lived out among each other. That's what he's getting at here. Jew and Gentile welcome each other. You're going to find any number of different things among a diverse church like this of ways to express yourself, ways to express your history, ways to express how you do community together, ways to live with family. You know it's amazing? In this church where we're Caucasian, uh, we have a, usually about 25% African American, about 25% Asian of many different Asian contexts. And then also a, a handful of Indian, Latino, but mostly broken up among white, black, and Asian. Now, if you, there, a lot of books are written on, on white and black doing church together. A lot of books. We, we have been in that conversation in the deep end of the pool for the last year. Not many books are written on doing white, black, and Asian church together. Here's the thing. All of these different demographics, and by the way, each of these, white included, has many different breakouts of how we do cultural expressions together. White is not a monolith. None of these are. Have all these different cultural expressions. And what tends to happen in a church especially, especially when it's a diverse church, like Romans, like ours, is that there's one particular cultural way that is seen as the norm, and every other cultural way has to adapt and assimilate to the norm which is the cultural standard. Typically in America, what, we would, what evangelical church has been has been the majority culture white, the white expression of doing things. Now, why am I harping on this? Because this is important. It's what Paul is teaching here. Jew and Gentile come from all these different ethnic storylines and ways of expressing themselves, come to do life together. Whose culture dictates the way things get done? None. We do life together, and we all give up our rights and learn from the other person. And the Jew embraces a number of Gentile ways and the Thessaloniki guy embraces a bunch of the Galatian guy's ways. And, and somehow the core doctrines are held together. So disenculturalization is the doctrine that says that as Christians, we need to constantly weed off the stuff that's not really the gospel, but it's our cultural way of seeing things. The Americanization of Christianity. we got to find what is, what's really American and get rid of that hold on to the core that's the doctrine, and then come and align with that. Because what we'll find is is that the church is a whole lot more beautiful when we do that. I just got done reading a book on Native American history. And it was interesting, when the the Puritans came into, the Christian Puritans came into America, what was North America, and they started making amazing inroads among the Native American community in America. The gospel was just going forward. Missionaries, it was crazy what was happening. All of a sudden, it became a class system where the the white, largely white Puritans were looking at the new Native American Christians, and they were looking down on them because of cultural differences, the way they dressed, the way they spoke, the way they did life together, the way they sang together for hours at night. It was all seen as almost barbaric. There's nothing barbaric about it. It's just a cultural way to express yourself. It was just different than the way the white Puritans were doing it. You see that? And so what happened was this looking down the nose at the the new Christians, thinking that they just got some ways to go to get to this standard, this invisible standard we've set. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is a set of doctrines that Native Americans and white Puritans can come together and say, praise God, I've got a lot to learn from you. You've got a lot to learn from me. Let's do life together and die together for the gospel. How about that? Now here's the, the magic of all of this. You ready? Very few churches in this city have the diversity we have in this room and online. Very few. And we've got a long ways to go. Very few And one of the reasons for that is that South Loop is one of the only diverse neighborhoods in the city, diverse in terms of living together, both socioeconomically as well as on race. And even that's broken on street lines, if we're we're honest, in the South Loop. But we have an opportunity as a church in the South Loop to demonstrate what disenculturalization looks like. Why? Look at what the text says. Verse 7 Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That's the gospel. See, you were far from the culture which is heaven, and yet Christ made himself like you. He entered into your space. He walked among you. He, was, he took the reproach of you upon his shoulders. He, he, he said, come in, welcome into my family to people who had no right to be there. And he created a new family. Now here's marching orders for 2021, church. Ready for this? Someone has to start flipping tables in this place. Someone's got to do it because the the city of Chicago is broken, hurting, and dying. And I guarantee you the protests we saw in our own neighborhood of South Loop are not the last ones. And it's an expression of pain. It's an expression whether or not we condemn it, whether or not we say go for it, whatever we want to say about it. Something's happening, right? Something is taking place. And as a church, there's this life together dying for one another opportunity we have, which expresses the gospel so powerfully to a hurting world. And I, for one, want to be right in the middle of that expression of the gospel. That's where I want to live. I want to die with you for the gospel. I want to spill my blood with you for the gospel. I want to invite you to spill your blood with me for the gospel. I don't want to do this Constantinian church thing. It's gonna take a whole lot of prayer. It's gonna take a whole lot of work, but it's rooted in this passage right here. Individualistic Christianity is not Christianity. And most of us have been steeped in it our whole life. And you're gonna to have to fight for it. And I'll tell you what, it's gonna be so stinking uncomfortable if you commit to this. We have been on this journey for years as a church, and I know the pain we've been through. I've been in the center of most of the pain we've been through. It's hard. This is not easy. Having a black church over here and a white church over here and a Chinese church over here is far simpler. Bringing it together and glorifying God as one colorful community is way harder. I'm in. Are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you. I worship you. Help us, please. We want to live this out so powerfully and radically. We want to show the world what the gospel looks like, what the kingdom looks like. We want to show the world that Jesus is alive and well in the church, that he holds all authority. Forgive us when we stray. Forgive us when we do this individualistic thing and we're more American than we are Christian. Lord, we love you. We need you. Holy Spirit, do something here, please. In Jesus' holy name, amen.